Well, thanks so much to our worship team for leading us in that wonderful time of worship. And now I'm excited to share with you today something near and dear to my heart. We're in a point in our series um, where we're nearing the end, actually. We're in week seven of our series called The Gift, The Spirit, and The Church. And we're in a time now where we're able to kind of think back through what we've been learning and to survey from that, to draw from that, to maybe hear what the Spirit might want to say to us in the here and now and what's kind of going on in our current context right now. Last week, we talked about the importance of taking what we've been learning to maybe re-envision, reimagine ourselves, to really reimagine myself at, at a deep level in relation to community. We talked about how each of us as Christians, that we have an ecclesial identity and how important that is to make that shift to thinking that way. Well, that to me brings up something to talk about today, which is the issue of unity and church unity. The obvious truth is that really all throughout the New Testament, we are called to unity as the church, as God's community. Jesus prays for it, and the Apostle Paul and and all the other New Testament writers, they reinforce the importance of unity. But the sad reality is that we are kind of prone to division. (laughs) We're not too good at unity if left to our own devices. Because, I mean, community, it kind of gets messy, right? And when we're together, there's conflict that's bound to happen. We can hurt each other. And when that happens, we kind of go into fight or flight mode, if you know what I mean. And that doesn't really help with moving towards unity and reconciliation. The the natural trajectory there is a little bit more towards maybe separation and division. But it's so important for us to think about and talk about unity and to have that as our goal, especially now. Because there's a lot of talking about how right now the church has the opportunity to be a light in this time, to be a hope coming through COVID. But how can we do that unless we're unified? So for me, this is so key for us to focus on. And we're going to be looking at an example in 1 Corinthians, an example, maybe one of the first examples of division in the early church. By the way, you kind of realize as you're reading Paul's letters that it wasn't a utopia. It wasn't like things were perfect. We're seeing that on display, especially in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at that situation and and learn just what's going on there. And we're going to learn what Paul says in response to the situation. The reason why is I think it's a really timeless situation. So what Paul has to say applies then or applied then and it really applies now as well we're going to see that Paul teaches that unity in the form of like-mindedness centered around Jesus is possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's our prayer that we can catch this vision for our time so that we can do our part as the peer community um, to work towards unity in in our church and beyond. Okay, cool. So let's get dig into this. And I want to first look at, okay, what's going on in Corinth? And you can read about this in uh, really the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, but we especially kind of get a snapshot of it in 1 Corinthians 1. And 
in a nutshell, what's going on is that there was a number of people in the church in Corinth that kind of thought that they were perfect, so to speak. <laughs> what I mean by that is they thought that they had arrived. They had been, the Spirit had gifted them with a number of gifts, especially the one speaking in tongues. And so combining that with, they were kind of mistaken about God's timeline in terms of his salvation plan. They thought that they were already through the end times, that they were in, a, in the time of the fullness of the kingdom. So bringing that together, they thought that they had fully arrived, so to speak, that they had the corner on the truth, and so they were in a place to start judging for themselves the truth and, and start judging each other and even their leaders in that way. So that was going on, and also there was a bit of a real influence from their culture. They had what I would say was a competitive approach to wisdom and to the truth in relation to Christianity. And they were getting that, as I said, from their, their culture, from the intellectual climate of their day. Corinth, as a city, um, it really was the type of place that loved it when traveling teachers and speakers would come to town. Everybody would show up to hear the latest speaker. And these speakers were called sophists. And they were professional orators, speakers, and pseudo-philosophers. They would make their living, and the ones that were really good at it would develop a following all around their ideas that they were sharing and their, their really eloquent speeches. And there would be a competition in that amongst kind of different, different sophists, and different groups would be their disciples, and they would say, oh, mine's the best, mine's the best, that sort of thing. So the church in Corinth was inheriting that as well. They were smuggling in these kinds of ideas about uh, the truth and, uh, and competition around wisdom. They were smuggling that into their church life. And all of this was coming together um, to say, uh, to create problems, actually. On the one hand, there was groups that were using this kind of judgmental attitude to question Paul's authority as an apostle. And also, there was a division happening. There was factions happening around leaders. People, what was happening is they were taking that mentality and they were saying, oh, well, no, I think that Paul, he's the best teacher. So I'm aligning with him. And we read that there was three, maybe even four groups, four factions that were forming around different leaders. There was one around Paul, one around Apollos, one around Peter, and maybe even, we don't know for sure, but maybe a fourth one that said, no, we don't follow any leader, we just follow Jesus. And N.T. Wright says that the upshot of what they were saying to each other was this, that this is my vision of what Christianity is, and you don't belong here. These groups were exclusive, they claimed to have the corner of the truth on Christianity at the exclusion of the other groups. So that's what was going on there. That's the nature of the divisions that were starting to happen. And you can probably even sense from that, start making kind of links <laughs> to our own day because you can see how these would be timeless struggles. But first, before we compare it to our day, I want to look at Paul's responses. We're just going to look at these briefly, but feel free to dig in a bit more. The first kind of line of response that he has is that no, you're not perfect yet. 
<laughs> surprise, surprise. You are not in the time of the fullness of the kingdom yet. You're mistaken about that. You're not perfect yet. You're not in a place where you can judge others in the way that you think you can. And he talks about this a lot in 1 Corinthians 4. You can read through there to hear what he says. But especially we hear it in verse 5 where he says, so don't get ahead of the master. Don't get ahead of Jesus and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence is in. When he comes, we're not there yet. When he comes, he will bring all of it out into the open. So he's saying, you're mistaken here. You're not in a place to judge. You're not perfect yet. Actually, you're far from perfect. The fact that you are bringing in these foreign ideas about how we get to wisdom and all that shows that you're not understanding things. Because actually the truth is God values humility. And that's the, that's the ticket here. That's the way. Relying on the Spirit, being humble, is the real way to kind of be led into the truth. So that's his first response. His second response is that they need to focus on, it's absolutely crucial that they focus on unity around Jesus and not division. Here's what he says in, verse, uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 to 13. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together, to end your divisions, and to be united by the same mind and purpose. For members of Chloe's household have made it clear to me, my brothers and sisters, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, or I am with Cephas, or I am with Christ. Is Christ divided? The obvious answer to that is no. Each of these leaders that you're trying to line yourself up with, first, they don't want this. The leaders weren't responsible for any of this. It was the people that were rallying around different ones. And Paul's saying, look, each leader, we're all just servants of Christ. Christ is the focus. He's our source of unity, and he can't be divided. So we need to work towards unity here and not division. Well, when we see that, when we see the situation, we think about it and compare it to our time, isn't there some major carryover? I mean, how often uh, is division caused by just lack of humility? <laughs> you know, forgetting our limitations, forgetting that we all have something to learn. And also, how often is division caused when people bring in values and ideas that are foreign to the kingdom, and, and they use those ideas to judge others and to, to stir up tension and, and cause factions and that sort of thing? And also, you know, how often do we see groups that pridefully say that this is our version of Christianity, and if you don't agree, then you can get out, <laughs> that they set up exclusive groups in that way? And the example around leaders, right? How often do people kind of group around a certain leader because of their style, because of how entertaining they are, whatever it might be, and then they start judging kind of other leaders by that, and they elevate that leader much higher than should be the case, just not realizing that all leaders are servants of Christ, and it's Christ that should be unifying us. And... So I bring this up especially because I think that the danger for division 
um, is especially there right now in light of COVID, coming through COVID, and moving out of COVID. I won't get into details, but I'm sure you can think of examples. It's a very volatile time. So we need to hear Paul's words on this, and we need to, I think, reflect on this and think about how we can apply this to our time to make sure that we do our part to especially listen to what he says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together to end your divisions, and to be united by the same mind and purpose. Well, I want to unpack unity a little bit more, because Paul mentions this quite a lot, and I think that us looking into that a bit more will be really fruitful for us in how we might approach this in our time. Because Paul talks about unity in a number of places. And he keeps coming back to this idea of, you know, what we see here, of having the same mind, of being like-minded. We saw it here in 1 Corinthians where he says, be united by the same mind and purpose. That's an interesting phrase, be united by the same mind. It got me thinking, what, what does he mean there? So I started looking around at the other areas where he says it to start to collect what it could mean, to kind of bring it together. He says it again in Philippians 2, verse 2. He says, complete my joy and be of the same mind. He says it again. And he goes on a bit more to help us. He says, by having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one purpose. That word for, the, or that phrase, having the same mind, the NET has a note that says that means having the same feelings, the same thoughts. It's, it's like a deep unity that's going on there. And it's helpful that Paul spells it out a little bit for us, that what he means by having the same mind means having the same purpose, that we're agreed on like a common goal, a common cause. And also that we are united, we have one love that we share. And we're really close, we're united in spirit. The message translation says that we are deep-spirited friends. So that starts to spell out a little bit by what, you know, what Paul's saying when he, when he says that we need to have the same mind. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 4, he mentions unity again, and this helps us further. He says, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. It's a mouthful there, but it's big picture stuff that he's talking about. And he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's even more there. And again, that word unity, the, the Greek there is henotes, and it means to have agreement or unanimity. And here we see, okay, the Spirit is involved. And we see that this unity, this, this unanimity, like-mindedness, it's sustained, I would say, by the bond of peace, and it's sustained by the gentleness that he's talking about, by humility, patience, putting up with one another in love, all of that. That's all really kind of the groundwork for this same-mindedness. So that's important as well. And there's one more that I want to bring up, Romans 15. 
this is going to help us kind of keep moving in an interesting direction here. In Romans 15.5, he says, Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The theme remains the same because that word for unity is phronane, which can also mean to think or to have something in mind. It's related to the word phronema, which means mind or thought. So it's coming back to this idea of unity, having the same mind, thinking the same, feeling the same. But here we learn now that this is a gift from God, that God makes this happen by the Spirit. This isn't something that we can kind of do by our own strength, by our own strategies and that sort of thing. This is a gift from God. So bringing that together, we see that having the same mind, it means being agreed on the same goal, the same purpose. And it's really supported by and fostered and sustained by love and working itself out in humility and gentleness and kindness and forgiveness and bearing with one another and all of that. And it happens by the Spirit, and it's a gift from God, and it's in accordance with Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is at the center of all of this. So that's starting to give us a nice little package, I guess we could say, a nice little snapshot of what Paul might mean by having the same mind. But now, okay, let's take a step back for a second. When I hear that and I see that all that's involved, I have to think, okay, how is that possible? That seems like a very tall order for all that to happen. I mean, I looked up in 2020, according to Wikipedia, there were 2.382 billion Christians in the world. And we're talking all over the world here. Christianity is growing in places like Africa and South America and Asia. So we're talking like a lot of people all over the world from very diverse backgrounds, separated by oceans. You know, how could it be that we're going to come to have the same mind in the ways that Paul is talking about? Well, if we think about it from the idea that we're all going to have to sit down together and make sure we agree on all things theology, we get all those things in a row, I think we'll be at it for quite some time. <laughs> that might be an impossible mission. Even though certainly there's some foundational things that we need to agree on, I think there's something more, something deeper that's going on here when Paul says that we're supposed to have the same mind. And actually, my clue to this was in Romans 15 again, verse 5. If we read it in the NIV translation, it might have a little bit of a different twist to it that might help with this. The NIV translation talks about, you know, God giving us encouragement and endurance and giving us the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So there, okay, that's something that's a little bit different. Instead of us, like, being given, you know, the same mind um, and, and kind of being like-minded in accordance with Jesus, now it's saying, may God give you the same mind and attitude of Christ Jesus. And that linked me to something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that's really tantalizing here, that I've always 
wondered, okay, what does he mean by that? And it started to click <laughs> for me. In 1 Corinthians 2, you know, to set it up, he's again talking to all these people that are divided, and he's saying, look, the only path to the kind of truth we're talking about here is through the Spirit. The only way you're going to understand these things is through the Spirit. Everything's by the Spirit. And then at the end of this section, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to advise him? We're back to this same-mindedness idea. And he says this, But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So that really got me thinking here. And maybe you can see what's going on. Like all the while, when Paul talks about unity, he's saying have the same mind. Be like-minded. And we saw how that kind of gets spelled out. But now he says that it's possible by the Spirit for a community, for the church, to have the mind of Christ. That makes me think that when Paul is saying that we are to be like-minded or to have the same mind, he's not just speaking in a metaphor. He's getting at something that's deeply true by the Spirit of the church, when a group of people are being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, they can come to have the mind of Christ. In other words, yeah, a community that's living by the Spirit, the mind of Christ is shaped in them. They begin to think like Christ. They begin to act like Christ. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend <laughs> to understand that fully by any stretch. I think it's impossible to. Because there is something really deep going on here. But here's how I kind of make sense of it at a concrete level in, in one light. Let me give you an illustration that helps me. Um, maybe it'll help you in appreciating what Paul might be saying here. And that's the example of when people, when a group of people are unified around a common cause. So let's take World War II as an example, because I think this is a good one. In World War II, this brought together a lot of different countries, the Allied forces. It brought together places like Great Britain, France, the United States eventually, even Russia and China, Canada, Australia, all these different countries from very diverse backgrounds, normally countries that very much disagree on a lot of things. And it unified them around a common enemy and a common cause. The common enemy was the Axis powers. It was Germany, Italy, and Japan. And the common cause, the common goal was to defeat the Axis powers, was to put an end to what they were doing. So they set aside their differences for the sake of this common cause. And I can imagine that as they worked together, as they strategized, as they thought about and prioritized that common cause, they came to have the same mind around that cause, all because of that common enemy. So there's a parallel here that I could see between that and maybe what Paul's talking about here with the church, because the church, too, has a common enemy and a common cause. The common enemy would be the powers of, of sin and evil. The common cause would be to do our part in the mission of God to free people from those powers for the purpose of 
joining his community and having a relationship with him. That's the common purpose that we can set aside our differences and work toward. And now here's the thing, though, because the the parallel between the World War II illustration and the church, it breaks down at an important point. Because we know that most normal um, examples of unity around a common cause, it's only temporary. We know that as soon as the common enemy's gone, as soon as that common cause or goal has been achieved, then everyone kind of goes their separate ways. And that certainly happened with World War II. Once it was done, once the Axis powers were defeated, everyone back to business as usual, and in a lot of cases, conflict started to develop between you know, countries that were once united, especially in the case of Russia and the United States, for instance. So it's normally just a temporary thing. But when it comes to the church, because of the spirit, because of kind of who we are centered around, namely Jesus, as we put aside our differences, as we prioritize that common cause, we are only shaped more and more into deeper unity. More and more we are shaped to have the mind of Christ. That helps me to get my head around this a little bit more. And all of this have been kind of um, of a piece with, with what we've been talking about throughout our series. And so maybe this helps a little bit too, because if you remember back a few weeks ago, when we were talking about the Spirit's work in the church and, and kind of the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit. It was all around shaping the church to have the character, the goodness, the righteousness of God. Well, now what we're hearing from Paul is that there's a further element to this, that the Spirit wants to bring about the mind of Christ in God's people, that God's people would be united in agreement, or maybe even better yet, that they would be living, displaying a deep agreement around the common cause, right? And because of this common spirit, all because of Jesus. All right, well, I'm going to leave off there. There was a lot that we went through, a lot to think about, and a lot to talk about. I, I know that some peer groups are still meeting, and I'm thankful for that. And so I think there's a lot here that I would love to hear what you talk about as you discuss these things. There's a lot there to talk about. And if you're not in a peer group right now or your group has kind of taken a break, please do still find someone to talk about this stuff with because to me this is absolutely crucial stuff. And as usual, I would love it if you contacted me. If you want to talk about this more with somebody go ahead and choose me as well. And if you have any questions, email me, contact me. I would love to talk about this stuff more. Well, to conclude, I want to give us something really practical here, as always. Before I do that, just to summarize, we've been talking about how we are called, as the church, to unity, not to division. We are called, actually, to do all that we can to mend division and to work back towards unity. And we've been talking about the idea that when we live by the Spirit as a community, 
then the Spirit can shape in us as a gift from God. It can shape us to have the mind of Christ. That is one amazingly deep truth, I think. And it's especially relevant now in really the volatile times that we find ourselves in when there's lots of disagreement going on, lots of opportunity for division to happen. And I want you to know that I'm new. Well, you already know that I'm new to the pier, but I want you to know about me that this is near and dear to my heart. The theme of unity is a big one for me, and it's been that way for quite some time. So I'm dedicated, and I really invite us all together to explore these things together as a church community, to explore deeper and deeper what unity looks like, what it means to have the mind of Christ together. And I'm thankful that we as a peer community are already about that, so we can only kind of improve on what's already happening. But practically speaking, what I think of for right now, what would be really helpful that we can do is to prioritize talking together. Prioritize taking time to to listen to each other, to hear each other's stories, to hear each other's perspectives. And when disagreements arise, let's have that as our default. Let's not kind of sweep them under the rug, pretend they didn't happen. Let's definitely not allow them to divide us or create strife. But let's talk. Let's take the opportunity to talk. And as we do so, I would say, let's remember Paul's words to the Corinthians. Let's remember that humility is our default because none of us are perfect. None of us have fully arrived. They always have something new to learn from each other. So we can always grow through talking together. And also, let's remember, as Paul tells us, as he urges us to work toward unity, to live by the Spirit as we talk, always striving toward that common goal, that common purpose, striving towards having the mind of Christ. And when we do that, I can imagine that some scenarios, some disagreements will realize that, oh, okay, you know what, this wasn't as big of a thing as we were making it out to be. Maybe what we'll realize is we were kind of being like the Corinthians and we were doing something that didn't need to happen. We were maybe importing or smuggling in some values or ideas that that really are foreign to the kingdom. So we need to kind of let those go and get back on track and, and really prioritize what we know to be important from a kingdom perspective. But sometimes, I know, there'll be times when the disagreement's more complicated than that, when it's deeper than that. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm the expert on this, and I'm not going to pretend that when it comes to, like, the big C church that I have the answers for that. But all I know is that if we, when we find those things happening, if we can have the mindset that Paul describes, and if we can really go into conversations with unity as the goal and love as the default position and and attitude, then I think amazing things could happen. So it's my prayer that we as a peer family can continue what we're doing to catch this vision this vision of unity, this vision of same-mindedness that Paul gives us so that we can do our part to work toward unity here in our local context and beyond. All right, before we leave off today, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. 
And thank you for Scripture, which has these incredible things to teach us and incredible things to say to us. Sometimes it's exciting and enlightening. I had that experience reading through this when I discovered more and more what Paul means for us when he talks about the gift of unity, the gift of same-mindedness. So thank you so much for that deep truth that by your Spirit we can come to have the mind of Christ, that Lord Jesus, you can be truly our, our Lord guiding us, that we can come to think like you, to, to have your um, to act like you and all of that. So I pray that that could be the case, that, that we could appreciate that more and more. But it can also be challenging when we learn, and, and that today is as well. And I know for myself, I feel it just as much. Each of us have a part to play in this, a part to play in prioritizing unity and love and togetherness. So give us the strength to do that today. And may your Holy Spirit reign in us, bringing us together especially in this time when it's needed so much. So it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.